Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Welcome to Australia on this day. My name's Michael Adams and today we're going back to Saturday, the 2nd of August, 1986. That was the day that Australia's most enduring art mystery began with the theft of Pablo Picasso's The Weeping Woman from the National Gallery of Victoria. On the 6th of December 1985, the National Gallery of Victoria's director, Patrick McCackie, had proudly announced the acquisition of Pablo Picasso's The Weeping Woman. The painting, one of four that Pablo Picasso made in 1937 of his muse Dora Mar, was a response to the bombing of Guernica during the Spanish Civil War. So, a masterpiece. The cost? $1.6 million. That was until currency fluctuations pushed that price up to $2 million, making it the most expensive government-backed art acquisition in Australian history, pricier even than Jackson Pollock's Blue Poles. With her blocky features and green face, the weeping woman wasn't to all tastes and the price tag stirred a controversy along the lines of blue poles. Patrick McCackie, though, was a believer. He'd been the NGV's director since early 1982 and he cut a flamboyant figure with his fondness for bright pink bow ties and matching pocket squares. During Patrick's tenure, he'd weathered a few storms. There was the 2,000-year-old $2 million Chinese sword broken during an exhibition, a Picasso worth half a million that had been accidentally stabbed with a screwdriver by a staffer, and a prized $3 million Rembrandt hanging on the gallery's walls that had been revealed as a fake. The Weeping Woman, though, was going to be a triumph. Talking to the media about the acquisition on the day it was announced, Patrick McCackie said, quote, this face is going to haunt Melbourne for the next hundred years. Everyone will come to know it very well indeed. On that score, Patrick McCackie was right. If that was a curiously prescient comment, it was also striking that on the 28th of July 1986, The Age ran an article about recent art thefts around the world, including a massive $25 million heist that had just happened in Paris. Interviewed for the piece and speaking about that daring robbery, Patrick McCackie had told the reporter, quote, I woke up that morning and realised that within 100 metres of the gallery's exit door were hanging some of the most valuable pictures in our collection. My blood froze when I thought how easy it would be for an armed gang to take them. He then told the reporter that he'd tightened security. Not tight enough, though. Less than a week later, after closing time on Saturday the 2nd of August 1986 in the NGV, a thief or thieves used a special screwdriver to remove the weeping woman from her frame. In the space where the painting had been, they affixed a bogus card like those used by the gallery to denote that an artwork had been transferred to another location. This typewritten fake registrar card said the weeping woman had been moved to the ACT. The thieves then hid the empty frame on top of a showcase and slipped away with Picasso's masterpiece. On Sunday, a gallery staff member saw that the weeping woman was gone, read the card and thought it simply meant that it had been moved to the ACT, as in the Australian Capital Territory. 
On Monday morning, Victoria's Minister for the Arts, Race Matthews, The Age and Herald newspapers, TV stations 9 and 7 all received handwritten envelopes containing identical typewritten letters. The letter was addressed, Attention, Rank Matthews, and it began, We have stolen the Picasso from the National Gallery as a protest against the niggardly funding of the fine arts in this hick state and against the clumsy, unimaginative stupidity of the administration and distribution of that funding. The weeping woman would be returned, the thieves said, if it was publicly pledged there'd be a 10% increase in arts funding over the next three years. The second demand was that Race Matthews had to announce a new painting prize for people under 35 in which five prizes of $5,000 would be awarded. And this art prize had to be called the Picasso Ransom. The thieves signed off with this flourish, quote, Because the Minister of Arts is also the Minister of Plod, we are allowing him a sporting seven days in which to try to have us arrested while he deliberates. There will be no negotiation. At the end of seven days, if our demands have not been met, the painting will be destroyed and our campaign continue. Then came the sign-off. Your very humble servants, Australian cultural terrorists. That was the ACT. An age reporter got on the phone to the NGV where confusion reigned as Patrick McCackie had been alerted to the missing Picasso and was searching the premises, desperately hoping this was a hoax. When they found the empty frame, they had a pretty good idea that it wasn't. At a press conference that Monday afternoon, Patrick McCackie said he was shocked at the theft, somewhat dubiously claimed that gallery security wasn't lax, and refused to confirm or deny that the weeping woman was insured. Spoiler alert, it wasn't. Fair enough though. The cost of insuring that Picasso and the rest of the gallery's $500 million collection would pretty much have taken up the entire annual budget or even more. Of the ransom note, Patrick McCackie said, quote, The demands which are being made are out of all proportion to the value and importance of this particular painting. If the picture is damaged or ruined in any way, then this gallery will never be able to afford another Picasso painting. Race Matthews told the media he was appalled that self-professed art lovers had stolen this masterpiece in the interests of art. He said that the gallery security was a, quote, real concern. In response, Patrick McCackie would immediately implement new security measures. Guards chairs? They'd be removed to ensure that guards weren't snoozing when they were supposed to be watching the punters. The guards went on strike, leading to a three-day closure of the NGV. The theft of the weeping woman, the proclaimed motive, the puncturing of artistic pretensions, the ticking clock deadline, it was a news story that just kept on giving. Headline writers contrasted the weeping woman's green face with Patrick McCackie's now red face, while cartoonists rendered him in the style of Picasso, weeping for his lost weeping woman. And the art-loving public came out of the woodwork to make their feelings known in the Age Letters page. Constance E. Little of Swan Reach wrote, quote, Congratulations to those responsible for the removal of the weeping woman from the art gallery. This monstrosity should never have been purchased in the first place. May it never return. Veronica McPhail of East Bentley wrote, Good riddance to that Picasso woman. Eric Peat of Brighton Beach weighed in with, Our hearts bleed for Mr. McCackie on his loss of the weeping woman. 
Never mind, our latest granddaughter born last Thursday will, I am sure, be able to produce a suitable replacement within three or four years. At least Alex Robb of Box Hill had a constructive suggestion. Quote, I think the National Gallery should contact Sir Les Patterson to act as a go-between for the return of the stolen Picasso. Speaking of letters, Melbourne's Herald newspaper reported that a Sydney graphologist had taken a squeeze at the ransom envelope and concluded that the writer was gay, a non-secretive loner, was nervous, depressed, moody and had low self-esteem that hadn't been elevated by the theft. That was all pretty remarkable given the envelope simply read, news tip, gave the age's address and bore ACT as the sender. Ignoring the fun it had already had with headlines and cartoons in its own pages, The Age on the 6th of August ran an editorial that began, There is nothing remotely amusing about the theft of a $1.6 million Picasso painting from the National Gallery of Victoria. How the editor wrote those words with a straight face is beyond me, and the case of the weeping woman kept getting weirder. The police engaged in a bit of data themselves, with Senior Sergeant John Burke of the Major Crime Squad saying of the Australian cultural terrorists, quote, Our information does not lead us to believe that they exist at this point in time. So, had they existed and now didn't? Or had they not existed but might one day? Who was to say? The detective did hasten to add that if the ACT did exist, he'd like to hear from them. As it was, the police had no leads and only the same theories as everybody else reading about the case. 1. The weeping woman was out of the country to be sold. 2. The weeping woman was being sold in Australia. 3. The weeping woman was in the grubby hands of the Australian cultural terrorists who may or may not exist. Excited about the first theory, Australia's federal police had contacted Interpol. These international cops said, yeah, they'd place it on their lowest priority list and maybe take another look at it if evidence emerged it was the work of an international art theft gang. The Victorian government had said no-go to that 10% increase in funding for the arts demanded in the ransom, not least because they claimed it'd amount to as much as $35 million over three years, and that much cash would buy a lot of Picassos. If the government was in the market for Picassos then and there, well, 10 wealthy business and medical men of Melbourne were on hand to help out. These chaps, calling themselves the Cultural and Artistic Syndicate, stepped up and said the NGV could have the Picasso they had sitting in a bank vault. It was a 1944 drawing called Woman in a Riding Costume and it'd be a bargain at $950,000. Or how about $1.3 million with a Chagall thrown in? The thing was, though, that the Victorian government didn't have to spend anything. Hearing of the theft, Melbourne artist Juan de Villa had whipped out his paints and whipped up a work he called Picasso Theft. The NGV could have it, meaning there'd be no need to find the original because, quote, Mine is a real one. It is absolutely exact. I feel that Mr. McCackie has been fretting about the theft of the Picasso. This donation will allow him to forget about that and turn his attention to the plight of Australian contemporary art, which has been ignored for a long time. Adelaide outdid everybody, with the city's Experimental Art Foundation showing 28 weeping women painted by the city's artists. 
leading of course to a rumour that the real one was among them. Then, even farther west, Perth police swooped. An artisan gallery owner named Andrew Cooper had tried to sell The Weeping Woman to Picasso's Coffee Lounge in the Hay Street Mall. Spotting Mr. Cooper walking with the Picasso, a police officer questioned him. He laughed and said, arrest me or let me go. The officer left and then returned with 10 officers who surrounded his van. Off to the side, Mr. Cooper saw them before they saw him and he made his escape. Later, hoping the heat was off, he hopped in his van and was driving to his gallery when he was pulled over by an unmarked car. Mr. Cooper was taken in and questioned for two hours by detectives with the major crime squad before they decided that his still wet, weeping woman probably wasn't Picasso's 50-year-old artwork and that a cunning art thief probably wouldn't try to sell a $2 million painting to a cafe called Picasso's Coffee Lounge. A good sport, Mr. Cooper told the Sydney Morning Herald's reporter, quote, I understand that they have a job to do, but really, if I had the original, I wouldn't be walking past police officers on city streets with the painting in full view. Back in Melbourne at the National Gallery of Victoria, the grumbling guards went back to work without their chairs. The gallery now had a new surrealist exhibition, crowds flocking to look at the blank wall where the weeping woman had been. As The Age reported, the space where it used to hang has temporarily become more famous than the picture itself. In his office, poor old Patrick McCackie manned his phone, which rang continually. Some callers were heavy breathers, others unleashed obscenities. None were thieves, and most were reporters calling to confirm the news that there was no new news. The Victorian government offered a $50,000 reward to loosen tongues, with no results. Then a second letter arrived, confirmed as being from the ACT, and again addressed to the Arts Minister. It began, Dear, oh dear, Race Matthews, you tiresome old bag of swamp gas. In the letter, they critiqued his response over the past week, saying he was playing the political he-man, flexing his political pectorals, and that they found his, quote, Conan the Barbarian routine terribly diverting. The letter, turning serious, said they'd burn the weeping woman at 10pm Saturday the 9th of August. If our demands are not met, you will begin the long process of carrying about you the smell of kerosene and burning canvas. Their sign-off? Good luck with your huffing and puffing, minister, you pompous fathead. Two days later, a third letter arrived containing a burnt match. All this missive said was, Thank you for your support. Phase 2 begins shortly. It seemed that all was lost, though police held out hope because they'd been taught you don't conclude there's a murder until a body is found. As Senior Sergeant John Burke put it, quote, I don't think it has been destroyed, otherwise we might have received the residue of the painting, the ashes. Thinking maybe that the ACT didn't actually have the weeping woman, on Monday the 11th of August, Patrick McCackie helped staff and 25 police do a second search of the gallery, including air conditioning vents and storerooms. They even drained the moat. Nada. Police then got a tip from someone who'd seen five suspicious characters, four men and one woman, in the gallery shortly after the weeping woman had been stolen. Photo fit IDs of three men were issued. 
They led to no one. But behind the scenes, Patrick McCackie now had a hot tip that a North Fitzroy artist named Mark Housen might know something. Taking his mate Jan Senbergs, a gallery trustee and well-known painter, with him for backup, Patrick visited Mark Housen's studio on the night of Sunday the 17th of August. As Patrick McCackie recalled in his 2003 memoir, The Bright Shapes and the True Names, quote, I explained that we were moving around the art world asking everybody whether they had heard anything about the missing Picasso. I said deliberately, at least twice, that the people who had taken the work could deposit it in a luggage locker at Spencer Street Railway Station or at Tullamarine Airport. What was odd, Patrick McCackie remembered, was that Mark Housen said he'd pretty much forgotten all about the theft, even though his walls were plastered with news clippings about the mystery. For the record, Patrick McCackie also wrote that he didn't believe Mark Housen was involved. But less than 48 hours later, on Tuesday the 19th of August, an age reporter got a phone call. A male voice said, The painting is returned. It's in locker 227 at Spencer Street. Asked who he was, the man replied, The Australian cultural terrorists. You remember us? Ta-ta. With that, he hung up. The age reporter and a photographer, police and Patrick McCackie all converged on Spencer Street where the weeping woman, as promised, was found in locker 227. The painting was safely packed in soft cloth, wrapped in brown paper and tied with string. It was in perfect condition. The way that the weeping woman had been cared for and packed, along with the use of a special screwdriver only available in art circles to remove it from the frame, and the demands that had been made in the letters, led detectives to the obvious conclusion that the culprits had been artists or people on the fringes of the art scene. Forensic tests led nowhere, and neither did police releasing descriptions of two women seen near the locker around the time the painting was returned. One final letter arrived from the ACT, and it said, Of course, we never looked to have our demands met. Our intention was always to bring to public attention the plight of a group which lacks any of the legitimate means of blackmailing governments. In his book, Patrick McCackie says he's always wondered if word of his visit with Mark Housen had gotten around and that the Australian cultural terrorists, realising that the net was drawing ever tighter, had followed his Spencer Street Locker suggestion. That may be so, but returning a stolen object anonymously via a railway station locker is also something out of any number of thriller movies. In fact, more than a week earlier in Sydney, veteran radio man Bob Rogers had said on air that the weeping woman would probably turn up in a Spencer Street Locker. However it happened, the important thing was that the painting was returned, and on Wednesday the 20th of August, Patrick McCackie and Race Matthews unveiled The Weeping Woman for the Media at a champagne event. The very relieved NGV director joked to those gathered, quote, We want to take extra precautions, bolting it to the wall so that next time they have to take the wall. Race Matthews, however, sounded a darker note, quote, all Victoria's art treasures are going to remain at risk so long as these people remain at liberty. I don't think there's a gallery director in the state who will be sleeping easy until the members of the group are safely in the hands of the police. 
if that was true, then there must be some pretty tired people in the Victorian art world today because the Australian cultural terrorists were never caught. So who was responsible? No one has ever publicly confessed and the principal players who are still alive profess not to know. As for what Picasso would have thought, I love the fact that almost 75 years to the day before the weeping woman was found in locker 227 on August the 21st, 1911, the Mona Lisa was stolen from the Louvre. One of the chief suspects, Pablo Picasso. He was innocent of that, but of course, Pablo Picasso did say, quote, good artists borrow, great artists steal. Except he didn't. What he actually said was, lesser artists borrow, great artists steal. Which he actually stole from Ivor Stravinsky, who ripped it off from T.S. Eliot's dictum, immature poets imitate, mature poets steal. Given all of that, I reckon Pablo Picasso would have been pleased with the Weeping Woman saga. The other thing I love is that just as the Mona Lisa hadn't been popular until after it was stolen, the Weeping Woman's theft made it one of the National Gallery of Victoria's most popular attractions, and today its estimated value is $100 million, which means Patrick McCackie made a pretty sound investment. I'm Michael Adams, and you've been listening to Australia on This Day. Make sure you're subscribed to get every episode as soon as it's released. If you've enjoyed the show, I'd love it if you could leave a review and rating at iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're after more tales from our fascinating history, check out my other show, Forgotten Australia. This podcast was produced in the Blue Mountains of New South Wales on land traditionally owned by the Darug and Gundungurra people. Thanks for listening and catch you tomorrow. 